Hello, Milwaukee Bucks fans. Welcome to the Bucks and Six podcast. My name is Stephen Dorf, and alongside me is my co-host, Hershey Winkleman. You can check us out on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Bucks and Six FFSN. We are also on Facebook at Milwaukee Bucks FFSN. Uh, before we get into some NBA playoff talk on this uh, podcast, Hirsch, the Bucks have been looking into a plethora of coaching candidates, a very wide range of coaches from experienced guys to rookie head coaches. Um, where, where basically, where's your head at with, uh, you know, all the guys, the bucks have been looking at. Yeah. I mean, I know that we've, you know, in the past couple of podcasts, you know, we've talked about guys like Nick nurse, guys like Frank Vogel, you know, some of the early candidates that, you know, came out to like lead the pack. But yeah, since then the bucks have cast, you know, a really uh, wide like net when it comes to coaching candidates, um, you know, guys who have just been fired like Monty Williams, um, and you know, we've looked at, we're looking at a bunch of guys who truly don't have any NBA experience, guys like Chris Quinn, assistant for the heat guys like Kevin Young, assistant for the Suns, Joseph Blair, uh, even a guy like Kelvin Sampson, who's a college coach. I mean, I just think it's very interesting, um, to see that, you know, the bucks are kind of, you know, we are interviewing guys with experience like Monty Williams, obviously won a championship. Uh, or uh, didn't win a championship, but went to the went to the finals um, against us. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's I think it's interesting just to see how wide of a net they're really casting and how you know they're taking this interview, this coaching interview, very seriously. Yeah, the whole process. I mean, they said initially when you know we fired Coach Budenholzer, they like they said that they were going to take their time with this and it wasn't just going to be a rushed process. And, you know, they've stuck true to that so far. I mean, they've looked at 10 plus guys at this point and it's only going to expand. I like that as a fan. I mean, it, it shows that they're really, really taking their consideration and they're taking their time and they're going to, they're hopefully going to make a smart decision on who they hire on who the players want on who Giannis wants. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you brought up they're They're even looking at guys like Kelvin Sampson, who's the head coach for the Houston Cougars team in college basketball i mean they're, they're looking at everybody i i like that i think it's cool there's a couple names that i've seen that i don't love doc rivers is probably the biggest name that i'm like anti please don't do this don't do it bucks please don't do this to us i mean the guy's lost like 10 game seven since his finals win with the celtics which feels like ages ago i mean at the end of the day like is that what we really want is just another guy who who seems like they they, you know, fail, you know, to, to live up to the hype in a game seven in a big game six, even like, that's not what I want. No, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of Doc Rivers either. I mean, I know that, you know, a lot of people call him like a culture setter, like he'll raise your floor, but he won't raise your ceiling. Um, I think one of the reasons that he did win that championship in Boston was because of the team that he had. It was one of the first ever super teams. Um, with, you know, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett. Um, you can throw in Kendrick Perkins, but, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the greatest player back in the day. But he, he did play – he was their starting center on that championship team. You know, we have to give him credit where it's due. The championship center, <laughs> Kendrick Perkins. But, yeah, another, another guy I'm, you know, I'm kind of flabbergasted by is, you know, James Borrego. You know, he only had a couple of uh, years head coach of the head coach of the Hornets, and you know he didn't 
he didn't really show a ton in those in those stretches. So I'm not really sure, you know, I guess why the Bucks are interviewing James Borrego. But one name I thought was extremely interesting was Kenny Atkinson, uh, the Warriors assistant. Many people thought that, you know, when he got fired from the Nets, when they signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and they brought in Steve Nash, that, you know, that was an unfair firing that he had, you know, he built a culture there with that team with D'Angelo Russell at the helm and they made the playoffs. Um, Yeah, I think Kenny Atkinson is an interesting candidate. I like it. And I, I, I do like the fact that, like we mentioned, you know, they're casting a really wide net. Even guys like Mark Jackson, who haven't coached in the NBA since 2014. Um, you know, he's been on TV that entire time. But, you know, people still know what he did back in back with that team with Steph Curry and his breakout breakout years with the Warriors. So, you know, I, I just I like the fact that they're taking their time. Um, one thing I want to ask you though is do you think at this point the Bucs are still the most appealing coaching job now that, you know, the Suns with Durant and Booker have an opening, as well as, you know, the Sixers with Embiid and if Harden stays or not? Uh, it's a very good question. And when we when we did talk about how the Bucs were the best coaching uh, opportunity or best coaching job, um, that that was, again, before Monty Williams got fired, before Doc Rivers got fired. However, having Giannis, and this, you know, this is kind of my point, is I personally still believe Giannis is the best player. Take that however you will. That being with that being said, that that's gonna give what whoever coach, whatever coach we get, it's gonna give them a huge advantage. And it's you know, it's a very, it's a very big positive for whoever we sign as our next head coach. So it might not be the top, top, like by far and away clear number one coaching destination, but I still think it's up there, clearly top three. Uh, whoever we sign is going to be put in a situation that is really, really, you know, it, it's going to be not necessarily easy for them, but a lot of the pieces are already in place for this Bucks team. And we kind of just need the right guy to man the ship. And that's kind of what we need this next coach to be. That, that, that's what we need. I don't need, I don't, you said Doc Rivers is a culture setter. I don't, I don't think we need a culture setter, right? We need someone, we already have a great culture. That's, you know, that's what Bud did for us. He brought a winning culture to us. What we need is a guy who can, you know, really, really make these in-game adjustments, game-to-game adjustments, and be effective at them. That's what we need. And I don't think – I think Doc Rivers is very similar to Coach Budenholzer in that he really, really struggles with adjustments in-game and game-to-game. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why Monty Williams was fired for the Suns too is just the fact that, you know, he he's kind of in the same mold where it's like, yeah, he'll, you know, change your culture. He'll make you – a better, a good like playoff team, but is he really going to take you over that hump? I think is is the main question for a lot of these guys. And I think, you know, we might see a trend in the NBA towards, you know, younger, more tactical, more stri- uh, strategic coaches that, you know, really get deep into the X's and O's, get deep into the playbook. Um, you know, we've seen guys like Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich, you know, these guys are fantastic at, you know, drawing something up for their main guy or, getting someone an open shot when it's crucial. Like that's the kind of things that I think, you know, the, the box and a lot of these teams are looking for. Absolutely. I mean, we saw, we saw the Bucks were interested in Scott Brooks, who used to coach the Thunder with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. He coached the the Wizards with John Wall, Brad Beal. And now he's the assistant coach of uh, the Portland Trailblazers. 
Uh, how do you feel about a guy like that? I mean, we've seen that we've seen what he's capable of with teams that aren't necessarily the most talented, but he makes them, you know, effective playoff teams. I know the Thunder team was really talented. However, that team was super, super young and was not close to their peak. But we what we saw with uh, the Wizards were, they, I mean, Brad Beal and John Wall. I mean, those guys were one and two seeds uh, with Scott Brooks being uh, their coach. How, how do you feel about someone like Scott Brooks coaching the Bucs? Yeah, you know, I think the Scott Brooks thing is interesting. And I saw a story today that apparently during his interview, he was extremely impressive to the Bucks, you know, front office and ownership. And I think, you know, he left a, a lasting impression. So we'll see what that means, um, whether or not, you know, he will be that head coach or whether, you know, they're looking at him in a different position. You know, we're unsure of that. Um, we also don't know how this is going to affect the rest of the staff as well. Um, sometimes, you know, coaches like to bring their own guys with them. So we might be looking at a, you know, a bunch of new signings when it comes to like the coaching staff, like assistants and trainers and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think this can affect a lot more than just one position. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely think, you know, Scott Brooks is interesting. Um, I think there might be other better options out there, especially with guys like, uh, Tyron Lue who might get, you know, who might leave the Clippers. I think he'd be a great option, but we've already mentioned him. Um, along with Qu Chris Quinn, I think he's extremely interesting. He's the assistant for the Heat. He's been under Spolstra for a couple of years now. Um, you know, that's that's a culture with him and Pat Riley that, you know, has bred winning, as we've seen from past couple of seasons when they've consistently made it to the conference finals and then they made it to the finals in the bubble. Um, so... You know, I, I like what I've seen from the Heat in the past couple of seasons, and I think, you know, bringing some of that culture in, even though he is a rookie with no head coaching experience, I mean, it could work out. We've seen guys like Taylor Jenkins come in as a rookie head coach, guys like Joe Mazzulla come in as a rookie head coach with the pieces already in place and bring Nick that to the next level. Nick Nurse, exactly. Yeah, no, I – I see, the, my my biggest fear with, with you know, the whole uh, Bucks coaching situation – is that we're going to bring in a, a recycled coach similar to Bud where they're good, but not necessarily great. And I think this team needs to try and find the next great coach. And I know it's a lot easier said than done, but looking into guys who have a track record of not being great is probably not the best way to go. I actually, the more I think about it, the more I actually do find myself looking into and, you know, just like, you know, just thinking about how the possibilities of what a rookie head coach could bring to this team. Uh, I want to talk about Charles Lee again. I mean, that that's, you know, our number two assistant coach on the Bucks currently. And you just brought up how, you know, a lot of the times when a new coach comes in, they like to bring in their own brand new staff. And, you know, with a team like the Bucks, where we've had this team for five years, we've had the same staff for like five years, getting all these new guys could be a very, very big risk. And if you just promote a guy like Charles Lee, who knows the system that's been working for us, and he just he might make you know the necessary tweaks, uh, you know some adjustments in the playoffs that Coach Budenholzer didn't. And I mean, voila, we're back to being the best, you know, the 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 juggernaut of the NBA. So I I am really really intrigued by Charles Lee. But the more these the more I mean, obviously the more guys that they interview, the less likely it seems that he's going to be our next head coach. Definitely. I mean, to me, I personally don't think they're going to go with Charles Lee. I think it could be interesting, but I think 
Charles Lee also poses some risks as well. Um, just because, you know, it's a it's a risk whether or not he'll be like a carbon copy of Mike Budenholzer and not be able to make those like those changes um like Budenholzer wasn't able to. Um, but we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with some conference finals analysis and predictions coming up. Welcome back to the Bucks and Six podcast. My name is Steven Dorf, and alongside me is my co-host Hershey Winkleman, and we're here talking about uh the NBA conference finals. Let's start with the the Celtics Heat. Uh they just had their game one last night. Unreal game, Heat take game one. Hirsch, I mean, I know we like to say the Bucks are probably the dumbest championship team ever, but dude, the Celtics, man, they, they might be the second dumbest championship team ever, man. They really might. They really, really might. Yeah, dude, this this Heat team, what 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 they're doing right now is is truly incredible. I mean, people have said, you know, they're the best eight seed of all time, which, you know, maybe true, maybe not true. Um, playoff Jimmy has truly shown that he is a superstar um, and that it doesn't really matter what he does in the regular season because he's just a completely different player when it comes to the playoffs. And yeah, what, 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 what has happened to the Celtics? You know, they're, you know, they barely, they barely got away with that series and in, in Philly, you know, they, people were talking about, Oh, is this the end of Tatum and Brown together? And now, you know, if they, if they lose to the heat is, is it, you know, it might be. And I, I think this, I think what the Heat have done, what Spolstra has done, it's been truly, it's been truly impressive. And honestly, I'm not, it's making me less upset that the Bucs lost to the Heat. Yeah, no, the, this Heat, I mean, people are saying this is one of the best eight seeds in NBA history, and that very well could be true. Definitely looks, I mean, no excuse for a one seed to lose to an eight seed, but yeah, I agree. It does make me feel a little less worse, and that's kind of why I'm rooting for the Heat to keep winning, so... At least we can say we lost to the best team in the East. With the Celtics, though, I mean, they just they do things that just irk me, man. I mean, they they play like just they'll play like a like a, a phenomenal first three quarters, right? And then in the fourth quarter, all their ball movement that they that's been working for them in the first three quarters just disappears. And then guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown just aren't aggressive enough. Jason, uh, Jason, sorry, not Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown turns the ball over like you wouldn't believe in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's, you know, been his kind of reoccurring problem. But, I mean, again, it's only game one. I don't want to dig too deep into it. But it's definitely a big win. I mean, this is the one the Heat needed to win. They're probably going to, you know, take coast on the second game. Let the Not necessarily let them win, but don't expect the, the Heat to win two in the Garden. But this was a very, very big win for the Heat. And this show is this is a real series in the Heat. They're a really freaking good team, man, and they have a legit chance of winning it all this year. Definitely. I mean, I want I want the Heat to come out of this series for sure. I mean, I'm definitely not a fan of the Celtics. And one thing that you mentioned about, you know, their ball movement at the end, I think it's really important because I think on the broadcast, you know, they were talking a lot about how Jason Tatum's not getting enough touches down the stretch, and they're using him more of like a screener which is really strange because, you know, a guy like that should probably be initiating your offense down the stretch and being that, you know, that playmaker, that guy with the ball in his hands. And it seems like, you know, they're going to Brogdon, they're going to Smart, and their they're two guys on the wing aren't, aren't really getting those touches. And they were, like, blatantly calling it out on the broadcast yesterday. And I don't know if that's, you know, maybe like a, like a heat defensive thing or if that's like a coaching problem for them. 
But maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe Joe Mazzula's lack of experience is catching up. Maybe. I also have, like, this idea that maybe the Celtics just have too many ball handlers. Like, they just have too many primary ball handlers. We saw, I remember there was a, I don't remember which specific game of that Celtics Sixers series this year in the second round. But at the end of the game, Marcus Smart had the ball with, like, five seconds left. And Jason Brown and Jason, or uh, Jalen... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, sorry, <laughs> they didn't touch the ball in the last possession. And it was Marcus Smart, and he turns the ball over. And it just has me wondering, why don't these guys touch the ball? And I get Marcus Smart's a really solid point guard. I mean, I think he's really, really proven to everyone that he can be a lead guard. But then you have Derek White, you have Malcolm Brogdon, and then you have Jason Tatum, and then you have Jalen Brown. And it's just all these guys, in a way, need the ball. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can be effective without the ball as well as Brogdon smart, but it seems like it's just too much. Like they don't, they don't, it doesn't gel as well as we thought it would. Right. I mean, you got five guys who are primary ball handlers and then the ball movement goes away in the fourth quarter. You just got a bunch of ISO basketball. I mean, that's pretty similar to what the bucks do. Yeah. And, handlers, ISO ball movement. It, it doesn't work. Yeah, and that ISO ball, you know, it was turning into bad shots for the Celtics as well down the stretch. Absolutely, absolutely. And one thing that happened with, you know, Tatum is when he did get those touches, he had two travel calls on him in the last five minutes of the game when it was, like, within five points. Like, you can't have that from a top four or five player in the game. But I think it's because he was out of rhythm. He hadn't touched the ball in four or five possessions because Malcolm Brogdon was deciding – he was going to take it head on or Mar- or Marcus smart was in a pick and roll with Al Horford. Dude, it's weird. It's a weird situation. I mean, maybe the heat just have them flustered. I mean, it seemed like the Sixers had them, you know, dead to rights being up three to two at, at in Philadelphia. They had them dead to rights. Uh, you know, maybe the Celtics team just gets better throughout the series. Right. I mean, I think it was, didn't they lose game one of the Sixers series? They lost game one. Yeah, they lost game. It seems like they kind of take that, you know, buffer game. And maybe that's what this is, right? Maybe, but I'm not sure if this team is the team to do that to. I mean, we've seen playoff Jimmy continuously be consistent in his fantastic play. And this team, this Heat team just seems so relaxed. Anytime any... Like that, like the Celtics, we were make a run in the end at the end of the game, and you know try to bring it within like five, bring it within three. Jimmy Butler or Max Struess or Bam Adebayo would just simply come down, and I, I saw Jimmy Butler do this maybe four or five times, where he would simply just come down and elevate over whoever was guarding him in the mid range and just drill a mid range. And it's like it's like okay, like you can just tell he's super confident, super relaxed, and he, he's unfazed. And I think it's like honestly kind of frightening for the other team because like they can't they can't like fluster they like the Heat are like unflusterable they're unfazed. I mean, yeah, they just got such a chip on their shoulder. I mean, what they have seven guys on their roster that are undrafted. I mean, if they're this is the most like chippy team in the league that we're talking about here with the Miami Heat. They they don't get yeah you're right they don't get phased by anybody because they have no pressure. I mean. They, they, when you think about it, they have no pressure. Nobody expects them to be where they are right now. Nobody expected them to beat the Bucs in five games. And even when they did, people were like, oh, well, let's just wait until they play the Celtics or the Sixers and they're they're going to get uh, eliminated in four or five games. 
Well, they just beat Celtics in game one. I mean, this team is something. This Heat team, and Eric Spolster, man, he, he's probably the best active coach in the NBA right now. Yeah, for sure. He is, he is really, really, really good, man. Really good. Definitely, definitely. Do you think, you know, if the, if the Heat were to win in this series, do you think, because we, we've heard a lot about, you know, Jalen Brown kind of, there's been rumblings about him being angry about trade rumors, about him wanting out, you know, possibly trying to have his own team and be out of the shadow of Tatum. I kind of like how Kyrie Irving was back in his days with Cleveland. It, it's it's reminiscent of the same thing. Um, do you think maybe if they if they lose this series, is this the end of the Tatum Brown combo? I don't think so. I mean, they have both of them under contract, to my understanding. Um, they're both young. And they they clearly like playing with each other. I think that's the big thing. And to me, it seems like this is just a bunch of media noise where they're just trying to get, you know, in the heads of the Celtics players by trying to stir up uh, drama in, in the locker room. I, I don't buy any of that. I think that Tatum and Brown truly do enjoy playing with each other. And, I mean, if they lose in the conference finals, I mean, that, that's still a top four team in the NBA that year. They made it to the finals a season ago, and that was like their first season of, you know, of this like core. I think it's too early to jump on the let's trade Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or whatever, whichever one, if we lose in the conference finals. I, I just think it's jumping on the gun a little bit. I mean, they're two of the best players under 25, 26 years old in the NBA. I mean, Jason Tatum, like you said, is probably a top five to top eight player. Jalen Brown is a top 20 player. I mean, it's a really, really good duo for the Celtics to have. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if they lose, it's maybe the supporting pieces need to be better. Definitely. I mean, I definitely think if they lose, I think part pieces of the core will have to be, you know, I think moved. I mean, they would have had one run to the finals against the Warriors, which they lost. And then if they lose this year, that would be two in a row, pretty deep playoff runs that they fell short. Um, after game one of the series, from what we've seen, now what's your what's your prediction? What what do you, what are you thinking? I think this one's going to seven. What team I think wins? I I think the Celtics will probably still win this series. However, I don't. I think the Heat have a really really legit shot at making it to the finals. They have a shot of winning the finals. I think it goes to seven, and I'm just going to lean with the Celtics because I do still think they are the better team. I think I, that's a good take. I, I'm going to go Heat and six. I, I just think Jimmy Butler has what it takes. I think they're going to win both games at home. I think they're going to win the rest of their games at home, basically, and lose the next. You know, they're looking. They're going to lose the next game, and they're going to lose game five. And I think they're going to win both games at home, three and four, and then they're going to win in six. But I, I, I think I think what they've done with their coaching, you know, Jimmy Butler, I think, you know, with him elevating his play, I I, I really like the heat to to come to come out of the East. I like that. I think that's a very fair point. I think I mean it's it's a, it's gonna be a dog fight. I think either of these teams can make it to the finals. I think either of these teams can win the finals. Let's uh let's head over to the Western Conference finals. Let's look at the Nuggets Lakers matchup. Uh, Nuggets take game one, 132 to 126. They have uh their game two tonight. Hirsch, where 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 are you thinking on this series? Yeah, I mean, I you can consider me like a Laker hater, but I, I'm really against 
this Lakers team. Um, and so I'm rooting pretty heavily for the Nuggets in this series. I, I want it to be Nuggets heat in the finals. Um, but yeah, I, I liked what I saw from the Nuggets. Um, you know, like like I said in previous pods, I think they're playing some of the most fluid basketball you can possibly play. Um, when it comes to ball movement, passing, and moving off the ball, it's nothing like I've seen since, you know, the prime Warriors. Um, and then Jamal Murray, you know, Jamal Murray, people were talking a lot about, you know, is Jamal Murray the right player to be with Jokic? Does Michael Porter Jr. do anything other than, you know, hit crazy threes? And the and and Aaron Gordon, the 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 evolution of Aaron Gordon from his time on the Magic, and him, you know, becoming a two way D. Uh, he's a defensive stopper at this point, but he also provides a ton on the offensive end, being able to stretch the floor as well as attack the rim. And I mean, we've seen he's one of the best dunkers in the NBA. But yeah, and then Nikola Jokic is out here averaging like like a thirty point triple double every night. So I think mm-hmm. you know I think the Lakers have a lot on their hands. I think it's going to be a tough series, but I, I I have the Nuggets winning. I just think I just think the Nuggets are going to win, maybe in seven, but I think I got the Nuggets. So I agree with uh, one thing that you said that it's going to seven. I think that Lakers win, probably in seven. Uh, I again, my whole thing with what the Lakers is, I I find it so hard to you know bet against a LeBron James led team. And with the way that Anthony Davis has played in these playoffs, I mean, you could make the argument that the guy, if if they do make it to the finals and win the finals, you could make the argument that he deserves the finals MVP with how well he's played next to LeBron James. This Lakers team is scary. I love Darvin Ham as a coach. I think he's done a phenomenal job with the Lakers. I love the pieces that they brought in to surround and complement LeBron and Anthony Davis and Reeves and D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura. Let's talk about Rui Hachimura for a second. Uh, they put Darvin Ham put Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic in the fourth quarter of game one, and the Lakers almost came back and won the game. Jokic got shut down. Is that something that, you know, you, you're rooting for the Nuggets, you said. Does that concern you even in the slightest that Rui Hachimura was able to, you know, essentially lock down Jokic and Darvin Ham now has that trick up his sleeve? Not particularly, just because I, I've had, I believe that Mike Malone – um, is going to make the correct coaching adjustments to not have that be the case. Um, and, you know, there are ways to get around that as well. You know, getting Anthony Davis into switches onto Jokic, you know, there's always – you can always switch on the screens and get, you know, have an Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic pick and roll where they switch, and then now you have a 1v1 with Jokic and Davis, and Jokic, and Davis has to come out and guard him, and that's not where Davis wants to be. So, you know, I, I I think there are ways to get around it. And Rui Hachimura being 6'8", 240, I, I, I think he, you know, caught some stardust there in that fourth quarter. I don't think he's really able to contain a two-time MVP and one of the top three players in the world. It's a fair point. I just – I like what I saw out of the Lakers. I like that they made an adjustment. They saw that Jokic was absolutely obliterating them for the first three quarters. I mean, he had a monstrous triple-double. <laughs> monstrous triple-double. And, I mean, they, he missed like – I think he had missed like three shots up until that point. The guy was on something. He he was playing on a whole other level. I mean, that's Nikola Jokic. He's a two-time MVP. He's He's great. I just think that having LeBron and AD on the same team – they could both in the in a game in any given game they could both be the number one and number two player on the court in terms of how good they were that night. 
yes, with Jokic there, it's going to be really hard to do that consistently, if even like physically possible to make that a consistent thing. But, dude, I mean, the Nuggets, like, it, what's the difference between this Nuggets team and the teams that we've seen losing the conference finals in the second round before? They have a healthy Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, last year they didn't, but the year before they did. The year before that they did. And I get Jokic obviously gets better as time goes on, as he gets older and more experienced. I don't know, man. I just it's it's the to me, it's the same team that struggled to get over the hump in the previous four or five years, however long it's been with this core. And I playing LeBron James, playing against Anthony Davis does not make it you know, more attainable to me in my eyes, personally, I get, they played well, but one player can only do so much. I don't love their supporting cast as much as I love the Lakers supporting cast. Uh, KCP on the nuggets has been on a whole nother level for, as a role player, he's been phenomenal. Again, you brought up how, you know, having a healthy Jamal Murray, having a healthy Michael Porter jr. Has really helped them take that next step. I just don't see it, man. I just don't, I just don't see it. I think that when it comes down to it, Jokic hasn't been able to get over the hump. LeBron James and Anthony Davis have been able to get over the hump. Jokic got shut down in a huge fourth quarter. I just, I I like, I like what the Lakers have going for them. I really, really do. Yeah, I I do see it with the Nuggets. I think this is the year for Jokic to make the finals. I I I think he's playing currently as the best player in the world right now. There's no other person playing basketball currently that's better than him in the playoffs. Um, Anthony Davis dropped 40 points in his first game. I think you know he's due for his 12 points and seven rebounds tonight. Um, you know that's classic Anthony Davis to not be consistent at all. So you can you can count on his 12 points and seven rebounds tonight, super inefficient and passive. And they're gonna be, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have to rely on LeBron to take them home, I think, tonight. And I think with the with the Nuggets defense, with Aaron Gordon, with with Michael Porter, with Bruce Brown, I, I, I'm not sure why you think that the Lakers supporting cast is better than the Nuggets supporting cast when the Nuggets were the number one team in the West. And they have guys like Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown. I mean, Jeff Green's hitting clutch threes at the end of the game. Dude's almost 40. Like, I, they, the Nuggets are very clearly, I think, the better team. I think they're the deeper team. I think they, you know, they play better offense. And, uh, and offense is what you need in the playoffs. Yeah, clearly the Lakers have the better defensive team, but they weren't able to stop the Nuggets at all. I mean, they put up 130 on them. So where where was the defense? They did well in the fourth quarter, which is the biggest quarter. I mean, the Nuggets had their lowest scoring quarter of the game in the fourth quarter of that first game. I think Darvin Ham has proven that he can make adjustments. He's good at it. I think you're very, very harsh on Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is having like one of the best defensive postseasons like ever. I, I, I don't care if he gives you the occasional 12-point game. He gives you four or five blocks a damn game. The guy is, is on a whole other level of good right now. I don't you you're, this Lakers supporting cast. You, you remember how bad they were before they brought in the supporting cast. They weren't even a play in team. And then they are playing. Then they make the play in. They win their play in games. They win their playoff series. And now they're in the conference finals with this supporting cast with Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, 
I, I really, really, really like the Dennis Schroeder even. How can I forget about Dennis Schroeder? Which, I really like which of those players is better than Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. I think any of them can be better than Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr. on any given night. I think that's what their jobs are. They're role players. I mean, what what happened in there was the game uh, with Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves combining for like sixty points or something like that. I mean, come on, man. That they're they're good players. They're good supporting players. And the best part about it is they they fit LeBron's play style to a T. They're they're all really solid defenders. They can all shoot. And they, they basically let LeBron run the offense, which is how LeBron teams make it to the finals 10 years in a row and win four finals. Yeah. I, mean, I, I definitely think it's impressive that the Lakers have made it this far, but I, I just simply don't think that they have the team capable of, of, of containing this Nuggets team at all. I mean, I think – when you look at the way that Jamal Murray's playing right now, the shots that Michael Porter Jr. is hitting, the defense, Aaron Gordon was defending Kevin Durant like an animal. And then you got Nikola Jokic playing like the best player in the world, and that's just their starting lineup. And you got KCP dropping 20 points in the first game. You got Bruce Brown dunking on people, putting up you know assists, rebounds, doing everything for them. I don't know. They 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 they're deep. They they've got a good rotation. They're deep, and they've got a good coach, and that's why they won in the first game. But I I see everything you just said about the Nuggets. I could make that same argument for the Lakers. They're deep. They have a good coach. Their starting lineup is star studded. What I mean, what else could you ask for in a championship level team? I mean, they 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 know how to fight through adversity. I mean. Look at what their team, they were two and 10 at some point, right? I mean, they were like one of the worst teams in the league at one point. In their first two series, in their, in their first two series, they won the first playoff game on the road. And this is the first series where they lost the first game and they're on the back foot in the series. It's LeBron James, man. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, be like, oh, they lost, you know, game one or they won game one and game one in the first two series. I'm not going to look too deep into that. I think they do need to get a game in Denver. I agree that this game too is not not necessarily a must win, but this would be very pivotal for them. I think they can do it, and I think they will do it. I mean, I think Lakers win game two tonight. Yeah, I got I've got Nuggets tonight, and I've got Nuggets for the series. I'm not sure how the Lakers are going to respond in those two series at home, but I, I think with the altitude, with the way the Nuggets are playing, I I just have the Nuggets tonight, and I've got. I've got the Nuggets making it to the finals and probably winning them. Hey, only time will tell, my friend. I got Lakers versus Celtics in my finals. Hopefully, I, I want the Lakers to win it all. I think that they can win it all. I want to say that we got to grow up witnessing the greatest player of all time. Five rings, got to, gets his fifth ring in year 20. I mean, that would be some pretty phenomenal stuff to witness, man. Definitely would make the... Greatest of all time debate better. But that'll be it for today's episode of the Bucks and Six podcast. My name is Hershey Winkleman. He's Steven Dorf. And we'll be back discussing any more coaching news as well as updates on these electric conference finals. Make sure to like, download, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bucks and Six FFSN. And now on Facebook at Milwaukee Bucks FFSN. Let's go, Bucks!